Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in again. I really hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Jamie. In today's episode, I speak to Elizabeth and Yomi, who are the co-authors of Slay in Your Lane, A Black Girl's Bible, which sees different articles from inspirational women of colour who've carved their own paths to success, despite coming up against so many hurdles from systemic injustice and institutionalised racism. I found it quite a shocking but necessary read in this climate. And I really do recommend that you pick yourselves up a copy. It is also now available in paperback. And again, thank you so much to everyone who's rated, reviewed and left me a little message on Instagram or on my various platforms. I am always so grateful for your feedback. One last thing to add, in this episode, I might sound a little bit lispy. I have Invisalign and I had just put on a new aligner. So I think I was um, talking a little bit funny, but I hope it doesn't spoil your listening. Please enjoy. Bye. Hi guys and welcome to Adulting. This week I am joined by Yomi and Elizabeth who are the authors of Slay in Your Lane which is the Black Girl Bible. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on guys. Um, So today we're going to be talking about exactly that, how to slay in your lane, how to thrive as a black woman, how to find your voice and, and platform others and I guess that was kind of your inspiration for the book. Do you want to you, you talk about it in the intro and, and it's discussed in the book but how did you come to writing this? So I was working in the city, um, like just graduated, and um, it's Elizabeth, by the way. Um, we sound alike sometimes, we so I want to clarify that. Um, <laughs> and I guess I was just, you know, starting out, and you've got all the enthusiasm in the world, and you want to kind of like, you know, make the most of your opportunities. Mm. And um, I was encountering challenges about um, how to navigate the kind of workplace, and challenges such as microaggressions, and a lot of responsibility, and just making sure that as a black woman, you're kind of like seen and heard in the best possible way. And um, at the same time, I was, I saw my boss, he was, he was a white male, his boss is a white male, his boss is a white male. Mm. And I was asking myself, okay, will I thrive in this environment? Um, will every like, will I be able to kind of like rise through the ranks sort of thing? Um, is this the best place for me? And so that kind of like, I guess, frustration, but there was also optimism as well. So I'd go to like loads of events and networking events in London and meet different types of people, different types of black women. And we all had this sort of energy, energy that I still feel now um, mm. and energy that um, is just part of the, you know, just when you, I think when you have to kind of like make do, but you kind of make lemons you make lemonade from lemon sort of mm. thing. So not everything's perfect, but these women that I met just had so much drive and ambition. And um, so it kind of all led me to kind of call Yomi my best friend. And I was like, well, um, I think you should essentially kind of write this book for me, essentially. I love that you asked. You're like, can you write me a book, please? Just a tiny, teeny request. Yeah. Um, so then you decided you ended up going to embark on this together. And what was your background? So you're working as... Yeah, I was a journalist at Channel 4 News and... Um, 
was essentially, I mean, as Elizabeth said, like she sort of pitched the book to me because I sort of had these grand ambitions of one day writing a book, but yeah. I had like no idea what it'd be about, no kind of like plan <laughs> to make it happen. And then she kind of just gifted me this idea. And um, yeah, it was pretty much like it was, I guess, kind of perfect with what I was doing anyway. I used to write mm. a lot about sort of black women and had started like a publication sort of aimed at young black yeah. women. And um, this kind of felt like the... Um, I always kind of say that primordial goop from which it was spawned, but like not exactly because this was Elizabeth's idea. It was kind of like inadvertently came like to the same conclusion that I was trying to do with what I'd been doing yeah. before in journalism. A thread that runs through the book, which I actually, as I read it, it didn't sound foreign to me. I think I've even heard it used in, in relation to people of colour, the, the idea that you have to work twice as hard. Mm. I feel like, I don't know, obviously my parents weren't saying that to me, but I know that that was a common thought process that existed when I was little. I don't think I hear it as much now, but when I was at school, that wasn't like, I wasn't shocked by that, which is shocking in of itself. Yeah. Did you find that in writing this book, you came up against barriers or do you think the world is becoming more inclusive and diverse? Or do you think that inclusion and diversity sometimes is um, unfortunately tokenism or like trying to fill quotas, which I think you talk about a bit, and especially like in going to university in certain spaces? I'd say I think it's a mix yeah I definitely think it's a combination like in terms of sort of the barriers that we faced when doing this book I think any barriers that we did face are so different to the barriers that somebody else would have faced mm. sort of five ten years ago we always kind of say that this is a book that has been needed for generations yes. but had it come out sort of five ten years ago would it have necessarily had like a nine-way bidding war would it have had that much sort of press would it have had so much excitement around it but then I also think that obviously it's kind of um illustrates that there has been so much progress mm. but then at the same time as you said it's kind of like that double-edged sword of like is this just a sort of momentary mm. um tokenistic thing I think that we're kind of of the idea and kind of belief that you know even if that is the case you can take advantage of definitely things and make sort of real change with it um so yeah I think it's kind of a mix um and I guess even when you look kind of like outside of publishing, outside of journalism, outside of like Elizabeth's working like marketing, where things, everything does feel like it's changing. Um, but then we always kind of talk about institutional change yeah. and sort of being like, if those changes have to be implemented by, you know, middle class, middle aged white mm. men, um, is that really the change that we need to see? Which is that we still, our change, the change that we see is kind of still like at the hands of somebody outside of mm. our lived experience deciding whether they want to make a book like this happen. It's still not people that look like us necessarily deciding whether, you know, black books, um, Asian books, books from people from the LGBT community, from whatever background, books by disabled people, this goes with mm. films, goes with everything. Um, if they should exist, it's not people from those groups necessarily, which kind of makes you feel like you're at the mercy of somebody else. <laughs> totally. And I completely agree that progress is often found in the fact that we've been telling these stories. So Me Too is horrific, but the fact that the women are able to talk about it and platform yeah. stories is progress in of itself. Absolutely. But another really interesting point you made, which I think is so true, is like we walk into a bookshop and we forget like once upon a time it would have only been white men whose stories were reading. Then it was a mixture of just general white people. <laughs> but so when you're buying a book, you're not really realising subliminally the messaging you're reading is not coming from different cultures or different ethnicities or backgrounds. Um, and I think you're right, this book's been needed for so long. Some of the racism you were talking about, that you uh, the, the thing that went on at Cardiff Uni, I was trying to work out if I was even still there. Oh. That is, it is horrific how... Because it's not, I mean, the microaggressions, I think, I've come to understand at a later date, but I just have never really, the more literature I take in from black women and different people from different cultures, I just realize how naive I am to how everyday it is. Mm. Um, and how do you, 
how do you cope with it or what what do you feel like have you you had a bit of a positive spin on that actually in the book as well you say that like it seems like people do have ways to talk about it because we have language now to talk about it mm. um and it's well I don't know on the flip side the thing that just happened with Danny Baker mm. awful but he's been sacked but you're, you're right like those he was still had a voice a massive yeah. voice and made a huge racial slur which to anyone in their right mind you know that the connotations with using that kind of language in reference to a person of colour is going to be racist so it's kind of that weird I think we're living in a very weird flux yeah and I think as well he had a show the next day and it was like a thousand people there and he got like a standing ovation yeah. and he was like making jokes and things like that a thousand people gave him a, a standing mm. ovation um, I think that says it all like I think as much progress as we feel like we do make progress can be undone look at what's happening like Alabama like yeah. things like that like it, it, as much like things can kind of be reversed which is very sad to see um but I think when it comes to like microaggressions and dealing with it we always say like there's no one way to kind of like deal with it because I think as black women we always police ourselves we police each other as well within the community of how to deal yeah. with like racism and um it is not like there is no one like you know one rule at all it's it, it's we it's Michelle Obama talks about it in a way of like, it feels like cuts to you bit by bit. And then what at some point you're like, you're bleeding, but you don't mm. even know why. And it's just obviously very serious. But um, yeah, with microaggressions, they can be, you know, very like just offhanded comments, but then they can also hurt. And I think the, a lot of the time with microaggressions, they always happen quite publicly, mm. but you are meant to deal with it in a very private manner um, because you can't, or you feel a lot of the time that you don't feel empowered to kind of like deal with it right there and then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a very double-edged sword. And I think it was very, it was very intentional for us to um, put terms and language to these things. I think we, like, it was important for us to kind of like really put it, out on a black like, paper and just mm. in, in a book to kind of talk to black women and just say yeah these things we know what they are if someone's not you know doing a Danny Baker or like which is obviously very overt yeah. um, or someone's not calling you like a name um, other forms of microaggressions and unconscious bias can still leave a stain in how you feel and, and things like that so um, and you do you can form power to go to your HR go to your boss and talk about it in a way that you know you know, makes you feel empowered. I think black totally. women have a voice. A lot of the, it's not, they don't have a voice. A lot of the time is sometimes you don't feel empowered to use it. Mm. Um, and that good thing goes, goes for a lot of like minorities and women as well. It, definitely. I mean, like, as you say, so many of these stories have been told, it's just they're not platformed. So your book, I'm sure these stories, so many women will relate to that and be like, this has happened to me, but it's just that you haven't been able to get into the spaces. Mm. Luckily, you'll be trailblazing now for so many young black women who feel like they want to get their voice heard. Mm. And I think that you're right, progress can go back and all the abortion law stuff that's going on at the minute is so scary, but you've seen the faces of the people that voted for that and it was mm. 25 white men yeah. um which goes to your point about yeah. institutional yeah exactly. if the same people have the opportunity to yeah. take back the rights and take back progress and like it, it makes such a big difference exactly. so it can't just yeah. appear diverse it has to it has to, yeah that's yeah. what i mean the there route. has to be more yeah. of us exactly. grouping together and recognizing yeah. that the more diversity we have the better it is for everyone yeah. um, i'm sorry just to elizabeth's point Four women, there were, I think, four women in the Senate that pushed against it. Mm. Um, they were the only people, I think, that didn't vote for it to take place. And that's the law that would actually affect them like, <laughs> yeah, as women. And it's just, you know, that thing of like when you, when your life and your livelihood and how you're going to live your life is at the hands of people who aren't even affected by the legislation yeah. they're passing. It's the same thing with, you know, when you're in the workplace and, you know, people sort of like repeal, um, you know, sort of HR things that are going to sort of 
protect somebody or safeguard somebody against sexism, racism. Mm. People aren't necessarily going to be, you know, most victimized or marginalized by that kind of behavior in the workplace. It just, I don't know, it's just really depressing to feel mm. that somebody else can kind of like totally bang down a gavel and be like, this is what's going to happen to you, even though it's got absolutely nothing to do with my yeah. life experience. It is that, and it's it's so weird in a world. I, I feel like every time I do an episode at the minute, everything's so polarizing because you've got yeah. one side where everyone seems really liberal, really woke, moving forwards and making changes, and then you just get these things going on, and you're thinking, how how can yeah. those things What's coexist? You talk a lot about how we say that racism is about ignorance, mm -hmm. and it's people who aren't educated, when actually. A lot of the time, it is the people in the educated places. A lot of the time, people from a lower socioeconomic background and are more in, live in more diverse areas, Absolutely. actually have more access to culture and understand it more. And even I recognise, um, so subconscious racial prejudice I have is walking mm -hmm. down a street. If a black man's behind me, mm -hmm. I feel more concerned. Mm -hmm. And I have to tap into that and be like, why, why are you thinking that? Mm -hmm. Because that's not necessarily more of an issue than a white man walking behind you and I have to really rethink about it mm. um, and I think it's good to access that conditioning because sometimes we all go oh I'm not exactly. racist but we've all been conditioned to believe it it's not necessarily your fault but it is your fault if you don't try and undo it yeah privilege is um, what is it is it invincible to those who have it invisible yeah invisible yeah. Invincible. <laughs> invincible to <laughs> those who have it, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's it's not just it's not just about being a woman or being um, a person of colour it also is about um, disability as well yeah so some disabled people, people we talk about people being able to come to at the table and mm. um, and have a seat at the table but if the you know if the building isn't wheelchair accessible exactly. then those people can't even get into the building yeah so but that's invisible to a lot of us if you mm. don't have like close family friends mm. or or mm. or just haven't encountered um people who have that lived experience yeah. because um and i think it's what i think we we're all on the journey it's not when we don't wait we're not born woke no. like we all have that mm. moment where things become a bit more clearer and I was still on the journey like mm. no one's perfect totally. um, so I think yeah I think that was really important for us as well and I think that's what's really helped with the book where um, we haven't started this we haven't we didn't come to this conversation trying to beat people with a stick mm. and try and like force them it's very much an inclusive conversation and it's important and I think it was very important for us to have these conversations with black women mm. but also like have these conversations with white people as well in the same room because there's no because like people we know this mm. like and as much as it's very empowering we need everyone to kind of have the conversation together yeah um and it needs to be less passive um I was at um, I was at like a marketing event and someone was like oh how can you like how can we help more black women in like you know creative industries and um and I was like well sponsorship and mentoring is obviously a really big thing and I think that's something that we should be doing more of um we, we talk about it in a book and but I was like rather than you waiting for that black girl to come to you mm. and say um hi knock knock mm. knock can you mentor me why don't you feel empowered to go to her and ask her what she needs it has yeah. to work both ways it can't just feel as if like like we're always further like always kind of you know asking um it has to kind of feel like the conversation is inclusive yeah and you talk about intersectionality in the book and I think that what's happening especially with feminism is feminism's reached so far as recognizing that we might need to go into schools and pick women uh, young girls to do stem subjects mm -hmm. we need to get girls to do this but as we go further intersectionally if you're a black if you're black and a woman you've got two like an extra layer so you're right I think that feminism then needs to reach even further and go it's not just about gender it's about ability it's about race Absolutely. um class. It's, yeah class yeah. exactly so all of these things that are going to impact 
someone I met a guy the other day I did a TEDx talk and this guy was like oh there's no such thing as like privilege like he was like I'm a mixed race and like if you just want to get there you can get there and I was like it's just not true if mm. no one said to you you can do something much like you said at the beginning of the book um, I can't remember which one of you was like I'm going to be a nurse or a teacher and those were my only options obviously as a young girl you're just going like oh fine mm. it's very hard to imagine a world if you can't see and you also talk about representation actually mm. could you talk about representation a bit more yeah, I think it's just essentially crucial. And just even going back to your point about the guy, the mixed race guy that was kind of like, I don't believe in privilege. The thing that's so frustrating about that is that because of his mixed race identity, that then often emboldens people to be yeah. like, well, if he believes X, exactly, Y, Z, um, which is why it's so important to make sure that like everybody's voices are heard. Because what tends to happen is that the minority of uh, minorities that kind of have that view are platformed yeah. to sort of be examples within the community to say, oh, well, look at this person. They don't agree with the wider narrative of what's yeah. actually correct. But in terms of representation, yeah, um, for us, it was just, it's just crucial. I think that sometimes um, representation, whilst very, very important, can be used as a kind of like red herring or kind of distraction from mm. like talking about institutional change. And I think that's why we were so, as much as we spoke about it, like through every, pretty much every single chapter in the book, we also spoke a lot about the kind of fact that there are a lot of things that are sort of outside of like minorities control, disenfranchised people's control. That means that unfortunately, you know, it is that kind of thing of waiting for somebody to kind of decide whether they're going to sort of create the change that you need to, mm. you know, I mean, we can talk a lot about being the change you want to see. But again, as Elizabeth was saying, if, you know, you're asking to, you know, pull up a seat for people and it's physically impossible because, you know, it's not accessible to them, mm. um, there's only so far that can go. But on the sort of flip side of that, like representation is so important because if you don't, you know, there's that phrase that says, if you don't see it, then you can't be it. Yes. Um, and I think that's definitely sort of been like a thing between me and Elizabeth, like even sort of being these authors, <laughs> it's been super strange to kind of <clears throat> become this, you know, we always kind of talk about the fact that when you do think of an author, when you do think of like, you know, when you, you read the sort of interviewees that we've had that are like space scientists, mm. um, you know, Karen Blackett, who's like the most important woman in advertising, Vanessa Kingori, the publisher at um, British Vogue. Um, you don't necessarily, when you kind of hear their titles, I don't think that those, the what, what they look like is what you'd see in mm. your mind when totally. you kind of think of like a space scientist. You don't necessarily see like a black woman. You don't necessarily um, even think of a black woman when you hear things like um, author. So, you know, me and Elizabeth have gone to events before and like sort of, um, sort of gone to panels and been like, you know, when we've gone to reception and been like, oh, we're here for the event. And people have kind of sort of been like, okay, well, you know, you've got a sign in here. And we're like, oh, no, no, like, we're the yeah. authors. And there's that kind of awkward moment where they're kind of mortified because, but then as, as Elizabeth was saying, it's about an inclusive conversation because we're not, whilst that's a microaggression, mm. we also understand that that's because, you know, I wouldn't necessarily meet somebody that looked like me or Elizabeth and assume that they were an author. Yes. Because... It's just not something you see. I remember once I told Elizabeth, this was like just after the book came out, that there was an article which was talking about how Cardi B's dentist was like receiving loads of um, clients after um, she mentioned her in a song or something or mentioned her in an interview. And then accompanying the article, there was a picture of Cardi B and a black woman with her. And I swear, I just looked at it for like three minutes and was like, oh, where's the dentist? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <gasps> Insane. Mm. I was literally like, this is something I write about all the time. Yeah. It just did not cross my mind. I've never in my life ever seen a black female dentist. I know in America, because it, it's so funny, because Elizabeth watches loads of like, um, you know, real housewives and all those yeah. kind of yeah. upwardly mobile, you know, they're very, there's a very big black middle class in America. Yeah. So there are loads of black female dentists. And Elizabeth was like, she'd never make that mistake because she watches all those kind of shows. But she was like, I understand why you did, because I watched them all kind of like, ratchet side of like the show so a lot of like love and hip hop and stuff like that but I'd never watched the kind of more like yeah. upwardly mobile ones so I've never seen a black female dentist so I just looked at the picture and was like oh wait that's the dentist and I was like but this is exactly what happens to me yeah. and that's why I think again representation is so important because it's not just about you know people in positions of power sort of pushing microaggressions and saying you know this is what you can be mm. it's also as black women as minorities internalizing what we think we can do because yeah. I never thought I could be a journalist yeah. I definitely never thought I could be an author I definitely never thought the spaces that me and Elizabeth occupy we'd ever occupy because I've never seen I can only say to this day but I mean Elizabeth I've never seen people that look like us in them yeah so that means like not just being black black Dark-skinned, young, skinned, working, young class. working class. She's from Streatham. I'm from Croydon. I've no, never Peckham. Seen... Peckham, you, sorry. Jesus, I'm in Streatham, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. How did I get that wrong? That's like my, wrong, that's my story. On the wrong. Like, yeah, I love bringing up prices from Peckham. But yeah, so I think representation matters not even yeah. just because of, you know, white men restricting who we think we can be, but also who we believe we can be. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's so interesting that you're talking about it. And we all forget that we've all been conditioned the same way. So many like young black women, I've got a friend who's mixed race and I used to always say stuff about her hair and like touch Mm. her hair. She didn't even know. She was like, we grew up in such a white culture. We've only (laughs) spoken about it like a few years ago where both of us came to the same understanding of race at the same time. And she was like, I didn't even know. Mm. She was like, because we've all been trained in the same way. So I think that message of like gentle learning, not Mm. that it's your emotional labor to teach everyone, but Mm. when when someone does something, uh, a girl that I love called Florence Gibbon always says, you can't cancel people for behaviours that you've only just unlearned, mm. which I think is something people do straight away. That They learn a word, they're like, you can't say that and get really annoyed about it. And it's like, yeah. no, you can educate. I actually am naughty doing that sometimes. Um, but yeah, we've got to we we, we've got to be like gentle with each other and recognise that we've all, the systems have kind of played us all yeah. in teaching us where Absolutely. we fit and how other people fit. Like I still hold really stupid ideas about what it means to be a woman sometimes and I'll like think certain things and you have to, unlearn them whether about you or other people yeah Mm. and to your point about emotional labor I think this when we get the representation of like you know black people black women or or any sort of minority in a space that you know like that they are obviously the minority that additional labor Mm. of having to feel like they're the diversity champion or they're the person that needs to kind of it's such I don't think we talk about it enough how Mm. challenging that can be because it's not their job because it's a whole job in itself like it is such a big job I'm not a diversity expert by any means Mm. so I'm always hesitant when people ask we're always like we don't you know (laughs) like we haven't got like this is an actual proper like career for Mm. people and I think that we need to ask the experts we have we need to ask the people who actually like make a living out of this and have proven Mm. like experience because these people who, you know, like, or they can provide representation, but I can't provide, you know, institutional, like, yeah. how to, how to, you know, restructure this thing that essentially wasn't... Pre-exists, like, yeah. your entire life, and your family's yeah, life, exactly. like, yeah. And it's so, I think, like, it's such a, a burden that, yeah. and I don't like to see it as a burden, but I think that you become, I think in the book, um, 
what uh, Amar Sante talks about when you, you know, get the seat at the table and you realise you're the only one at the table mm. and you're, you know, you're the minority, that you feel like the kind of there's a conflict of um, speaking from your own voice, but also speaking from the voice of your community as well. Right. And, some t- and, and then also like, you know, having an inclusive conversation with the people that are there and trying to, like, marry all that together. And, I, yeah, I think it's, it can be challenging and I don't think it's 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 the work, it's the burden or it's the work of the people who, you know, have kind of, like, been let through the gate, yeah. essentially. It's a whole work in its own. I know that, and as you're saying that, I know I'm guilty of making women of colour or people who are the, the group, the minority group in the room do that. Uh, and it's really, it's really tough, isn't it? And I know that I've got a friend, it's really obvious in the fitness industry, but I've got a friend in the fitness industry who's often the only woman of colour on a mm. panel. And that is just her immediate question. She's probably one of the most qualified there. Mm. And just as you're saying that, I was recognising that I wouldn't walk into, obviously this book is tied into race, mm, so it's a bit more credence to talk about it, but no one's going to be like, so you're a white author. What's it like? <laughs> What's it like being a, a white author, a white woman? I've actually tried to start saying when I talk about someone, she was a white woman, mm. just so that there's a balance there. Mm. Because it's really it's really hard to know how to balance out the way that we talk about and signify like labels. Yeah, mm. and so, being and being a black woman is part of my identity. Yeah, but also being from a working class background, also being you know best friends to your mm. me. There's so many facets yeah. to my personality, but there are things that obviously institutional things that hold me back from yeah, thriving. Absolutely. And obviously, one being me being a woman, and obviously me being yeah. definitely um, black. Yeah. But if I had a disability, a physical disability, that'd be also yeah. be at the forefront of my identity exactly. as well. Um, but shouldn't it shouldn't have to be? But it no. is because yeah. we're still at the point where we're kind of trying to challenge like these conventions, conventions and things that these traditions. Yeah, I I'm think. Sorry, yeah, sorry, I was just going to know. I was just about to say as well, like in the same way that being a black woman informs Elizabeth's and my identity, like being a white woman does inform yeah. white women's identities because then there is relative privilege that literally when you're contextualizing a story mm. and being like, oh, that it was a white woman. Like I do that all the time with stories because I do in the same way that you know. As you know, with my experience and how being black might mean that you know, I don't know. There's just this. It's just a different kind of worldview and just yeah. different lived experience. And I feel that oftentimes white people and middle class people and men get really tetchy about because they feel the experience is default, but yeah. it's not. It's very much shapes them in the same way that being from a working class background, being you know having a disability shapes anybody mm. else. And it's really interesting because. Um, my sister has a disability. She's quadriplegic. And the other day we were talking about um, mental health because I was writing a piece about mental health and accessibility to it. And she just told me something I'd never even thought of, which was that she was complaining about the question, standardised questionnaires they provide for people that um, have that are seeking counselling. And she said that, oh, you know, she didn't feel they spoke to her. And I was like, why? And she said, because for me, when I'm sort of trying to access mental health services or anything like that, I feel they don't speak, speak to me because of racial stuff and cultural stuff. So she was saying on that level, they don't speak to her. But also they were questions like okay in terms of depression like did you feel able to get your, yourself ready in the morning mm. she's quadriplegic she's not she, able it doesn't matter yeah. exactly if she is you know i get really annoyed about stuff like this but it doesn't matter if she is you know in a great mood she still won't be able to do that yeah. and it's such a such an oversight because i'm not saying that you know they shouldn't include those questions but it doesn't apply to a very large yeah. po- part of the population and again that this is why i'm like every facet of who you are does inform what 
you do and how you think and totally. what your lived experience is. And we don't think about that, hence why we get these questions that would alienate me and Elizabeth on one level, alienate my sister on another level, alienate like loads of different people on different levels. Well, the sad, you talk about systems and, and the sad thing is that systemic injustice is because they were designed to alienate. This world exactly. was created by white, cisgendered, middle-class men. And mm. I, I intersect on all of those levels apart from the man. Mm. So I am heterosexual, cisgendered, able-bodied, etc. Mm. So pretty much all the worlds, I can get into most doors and mm. I can appear... And whilst I have problems of gender inequality, mm. most of the rooms are able, I'm able to access. Mm. But the further you go down those systems, the problem is they're so deeply entrenched with the systems so long that whilst we're all becoming our generation of women, especially I think, are really like, I want to let people in. It's mm. like those forms have been printed the same as the past like 30 years yeah. and no one's... So it's the small... I think sometimes the loud voices, like the media, and maybe not mainstream media, but we are getting stories out there. Mm. But it's in the really small, the minutiae, like fat people want to go to the gym and everyone's mm. like, you're really overweight, you should go to them. Mm. They can't get through the freaking barriers. Yeah, literally. It's literally. like if it's just Physical, the most obvious... Barriers, yeah. yeah. So it's like you can't... And people are like, well, we don't really see disability. It's like, of course you don't. Who's going to get on the tube in a exactly. wheelchair? How are you going to get exactly. there? So I think because it's outside, it's out of mind. Mm -hmm. And whether that was done years ago with really abject racism um, and people didn't recognise it because they didn't see it. Mm -hmm. Like now we, we're seeing it more. So It wasn't built for, like, you know, if you're not a straight white male, it wasn't built for yeah. you to thrive. And it's so hard because... It's so hard because our... Like, same lane is obviously very optimist, optimistic and mm -hmm. it's, you know, black. We, we can't... We can't sit there and just cry all the time and go, this is bad, this is bad. We have to make do and, and make the most of life. And that's like we, and we have our brand is essentially, you know, like, you know, being optimistic mm. and because that's just a that black female experience. Mm. It isn't just, you know, resided in just misery. Mm. But it's so hard being, having, straddling that with, you know, advice and 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 um, optimism because, you know, as well, because when people ask us about advice and like, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? And a lot of the time, especially when it's to do with like corporate structures, a lot of the time I, I'm always, it's always hard because I always think that as, as much advice I can give you, it's not, these these are make-do mm -hmm. ad bits of advice. They're not going to massively, you know, empower you. So it means that mm -hmm. tomorrow you can rise up in the ranks and things like that. Like it's always, I always find it challenging. And you know? it's something that kind of like, you know, bears on my conscience a lot of the time because I always think that I'm we're talking about you know how to thrive and how to you know slay and how to do this mm -hmm. as black women and and we're trying to advise other black women but the problem isn't us a lot no. of it, the problem is the institution and trying to balance you know that communication as being something that's you know not just miserable like you know oh mm -hmm. doom and gloom but mm -hmm. also balancing it with optimism is something that I personally struggle with and mm -hmm. I'm still struggling with but I think you I think you have to be optimistic because I think that whilst I agree with you the systems are against us a lot of the time I do actually really believe in like people power I really do think that we're coming up like there's so much of us that we're just so disengaged with the establishment we're like I cannot relate to you I do not understand your train of thought and actually if we band you together and that does mean that our feminism needs to be inclusive of black women and people who are disabled and not just like white feminism that's marches of just white faces and inclusion of like trans people etc and I think that will make a difference mm. but I think it's you shouldn't be like you say wet, uh, bearing the weight yeah. of all it on and, your own absolutely and often you you physically can't and I, I completely get what Liz was saying about that conscience thing because some of the reviews and feedback we've had has been like well I wanted to learn how to stay in my lane why don't you guys tell me and we're like because we don't know and yeah. because honestly like to honestly say like yeah this is how it, the answer would probably be literally 
usurping the entire like mm. Western society as we know it and starting again. And we can't do that. So when like, for instance, I had news yesterday that like um, Warwick University, where we went, has um, decided to lower. Did you see that, Elizabeth? Yeah. Like lower um, entry like requirements for people from disadvantaged backgrounds. That is so important. Mm. That is what. With, like you know that's what we're talking about mm. when we're like okay you know there's certain things that that's not something we could have done that's not something anybody could have done like as an individual but there was somebody that decided that because you know funny enough Afua Hirsch um, one of the interviews in our book suggested that she was like I think that if you've gone to private school and you've been primed for Oxford your whole life yeah. you get three A's it's not the same as somebody that's gone to a state school is on three school meals from a single parent household and has got three B's yeah. that's, that is like that person has tr truly like managed to absolutely like out you know, outdo themselves given their background. And the fact that Warwick, which, you know, despite lots of stuff that's said in the book, has always been, like, quite a progressive, quite, mm. like, you know, they've really tried in terms absolutely. of who they've let in, absolutely. Because there were a lot of us from, like, you know, working class backgrounds from South London, like, in our year group. Well, not a lot, but there were, like, you could just see in terms of who they right. allowed in, like, they definitely were thinking about it. And the fact that they've, like, lowered that entry requirement, obviously we know there's going to be pushback of like, oh, this is, you know, like um, special treatment or whatever. But I'm glad that they've understood that, yeah. that mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That difference is the same thing as like when my sister gets extra time yeah. um, because, you know, she uses an eye gaze to write her um, essays. Um, you know, she's probably smarter than anybody there, but it yeah. physically takes her longer. You know, they're not going to be like, well, you're going to get the exact same amount of time because, you know, you're literally using your retinas to type. Yeah. Like they've accommodated. Mm -hmm. And I think that lowering of, entry um, requirements is exactly that thing we're talking about where it's like we need to kind of talk about why these things are important yeah. but somebody needs to make that decision mm -hmm. like those assholes did in Alabama to like yeah. you know what I mean pass an abortion like that legislation we need people to be doing that for the right things and Missing deciding totally. as well. absolutely because yeah. I think because one of the things especially in corporate world and in the city it's like well if you're lowering the you know requirements to get into university you're lowering requirements to get into no. a job uh, like that means that you know the quality I just want the best candidate no. okay if I go on your website right now and majority of your senior leadership are white male are you telling me that's because of talent no so it doesn't work so it's your not, system doesn't work exactly. so it's a, it's, a, it's do you know what i mean so we're not when i go on like all these websites and i look at all the kind of like people who mm. are in the senior leadership or even middle management and they're all white it's not because they are better no. and i think as when you're a minority <laughs> you're kind of fed and when you're you know from a working class background you think that you know, people are there because they're meant to be there, because mm. they're better, because they have bigger brains and, and they're clever. No, it doesn't work like that. It's yeah. not like... Um, I actually went to private school and I think that's a great idea. Mm. I totally agree. It's like, why would you not redistribute that? Like, mm. I the, the level of education, the class size, it's ridiculous. Like, you should mm. be doing well. It's, it's actually... If you're going to pay, like, I, I that makes total sense to me. Mm. Katna Moran said an amazing thing once. She was like, what the government make you do is they make you punch down. They don't want you to look up. So they'll make so you feel yeah, like yeah. it's someone below you's caused this or it's it's your course, fault. Brexit. And you're never really, yeah, you're never really looking at what, wait a minute, why have I been put mm. in this position? Mm. I think about it about money all the time. Like, why would you want to be a billionaire? I don't really get it. Like, oh, do you gosh. see that stat? It was like, you'd have to spend, if you've spent like 33,000 pounds every day for like so many years, you still wouldn't spend your money. So and that, that weird idea, I don't know why you'd have it when you could read just, everything would be better if everyone, it's, uh, it's, it's so it's, weird. It's the same reason why people vote um, for People who are from working class backgrounds vote conservative and, and policy mm. and economic policies to kind of um, in terms of like tax and, and things mm. like that that are, that don't benefit them. Yeah. Because one day they feel like they can achieve that. Yeah. So and if they do become a millionaire tomorrow, 
they want to be able to benefit from that. Mm, exactly. And that's that's a lot of the type of thinking. And it's just, it's hard because then you have that imposter syndrome that yeah. you think that, oh, the reason, like, you feel like you're an imposter even mm. when you do, like, you know, do well. And it's, it's you're not an imposter. You're not, you're not there because you, you snuck in because the people that are there aren't, aren't better no, than you by any not, means. But they've been raised to think, I think this is the one thing about private school that's so fascinating. I mean, lo- noticed it when Warwick is that, you, you know, and it's not even necessarily a negative thing. I just wish everyone was raised yeah. to it. It's very different when your parents are paying for you to do well because you absolutely believe that you should be in specific spaces yeah. and you're, you're raised to know that, you know, these aren't un- unattainable things. All of Parliament it looks like you went to schools, yeah. went to the same schools. Like, why would you look at a space like, I want to be Prime Minister and see that as unattainable when, you know, that is what the majority yeah. of Parliament's made up with. But then when you're... Mm-hmm just this like normal person from a normal background and you don't see anybody and this is going back to that representation point like and again it's that thing of even being a billionaire like I think one of the reasons people can hold wealth in that way is because it becomes very easy to look at another human being and feel like you deserve to have more than them which is so dangerous but it really is that that ideology like it's you know, it's the same thing with classism, mm-hmm. um, white supremacy, sexism. When, you know, when you've been raised to be like, I am superior in some way, whether that's because you're white, because you're male, because you're rich, you can look at right. genuinely another person. It's that, you know, not to get or whatever, but honestly, it's why we can see natural disasters and, you know, um, tragedies happen in other countries. And it's like, you know, let's say the death toll is like 77. 77 brown bodies versus, you know, a tragedy One of like 10 white exactly male white suicide. people. Exactly. We don't, we don't humanise anymore. No, I agree. Um, yeah, so I think people can sit there spending £33,000 a day when they could literally change somebody's complete mm. life and just feel like, well, I deserve this because, you know, it's almost like divine rule. Like, I work harder. I yeah, and no, we have a monarchy. So we definitely believe that certain people just are born yeah. deserving to have more things. I think that fundamentally, it always comes back down to this for me, it's education. It's if we could redistribute wealth and redistribute education, there just wouldn't be inequality because we yeah. know that if we educate girls about contraception, we know that will help with the environment. Exactly. We know there'll be less poverty and all of these things. Yeah. And as much as you feel like you don't know how to say slow in your lane, you've written a fucking book. (laughs) Sorry, that's unbelievable. And that is education. And that's something that someone can go and buy even if they can't get a uni degree. So I think we have to... This went very hard left, very (laughs) soon. Very, very (laughs) communist. I know, I'm loving it. But I think it's just to recognise how... I think we all get that feeling of imposter syndrome. And I just want us all to see that we can actually do... Like, if we dump dumb things down and go, oh, like, I can't do this. And it's like, you'll never do it. And we've got to believe that things that we're saying, that, like, see the change be perseverant whatever um i actually think it's amazing did Thank you have anything you. else you wanted to add i don't think, was I think that was great yeah. thank you Aww. so much a lot much. Of our, off our chest honestly oh, yeah thank you so much Thanks that was so, so much, great yeah. it's really lovely yeah. to meet you guys likewise man. Um, thank you and if people want to find you online or are there any events you're doing that you'd like to so our paperback comes out oh, yes. um june the 13th um so that's really, we're excited for that. So we'll have some events around that time. And mm-hmm. our social media is Slaying Your Lane, at Slaying across all social media platforms. Oh, perfect. And um, we'll be announcing events and things that we're doing via those channels. Amazing. Thank you so Thank much, you. guys. Thanks for listening. No, thanks. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.